0: For today, the the message, we are on the last week of our series, Week Made Strong, as we've been going through this period of of Lent, and um, as we've been talking about during Lent, uh, we've been talking about brokenness and how broken our world is because of sin. And this morning, I specifically, I wanted to talk about relational brokenness and how broken... um, Our relationships have become in this world as a result of sin. And and that will close up our Week Made Strong series because next week we'll be talking about Palm Sunday, and then the week after that will be Easter Sunday. So we're going to wrap up our Week Made Strong uh, series today. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 14. As I said last week, we looked at verses 1 through 6, where uh, the Israelites created the, the golden calf And Moses was um, up on the mountain, and he was meeting with the Lord, and the people began worshiping God through idolatry. And I talked about how, as Christians, we can do that as well. We can be guilty of syncretism or fall into the the temptation of thinking um, that we are worshiping God when really we have an ulterior motive. As I said, God may say to us sometimes, don't do that. But we say, it's okay, God, I'm doing it for you and we try to blend together our desires, the desires of our flesh, with God's commands, with the desires of the Spirit and what He wants for us. So that was the golden calf. And now, where we pick up this week is God on the mountain, letting Moses know what's going on, giving him the 411 on what's happening. You guys don't say that. That's so old. Telling him what's going on down there at the base of the mountain, and uh, Moses then then coming down the mountain uh, eventually as well. So, That's where we pick up. So we're going to look here at first at verses 7 through 10. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, or Elohim, right? Which could mean God, which I think is what they mean. They think they're worshiping God in the form of a golden calf. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people, meaning they're, they're stubborn, they're obstinate. Now, therefore, let me alone... That my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you, you being Moses. What God was essentially saying here is these people, they're unbelievable. I just delivered them out of slavery, out of Egypt. I just gave them the Ten Commandments, my commands, and now here they go, breaking it right away, creating this golden calf. These people, it's it's hopeless. These people are ridiculous. Moses, out of my way. I'm going to destroy all of them, and I'm going to start over with you. You, your children, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you, just like I did out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of Jacob's descendants and his children, we're going to start over with you. Now, if I I were Moses, I might be like, that sounds like a pretty good deal. (laughs) Hey, that sounds pretty good. Because in this short amount of time since Moses went into Egypt, risking his own neck, by the way, he was the, the son of Pharaoh who ran off, if you, if, you're, if you forgot about that, risking his neck to save these people. And all that Moses has experienced since they came out of Egypt is, is hardship from them. They've been a bunch of unappreciative complainers. Like, here's a few examples. Here's what's happened since they've left Egypt. Um, in Exodus 15, at, at one point, they're in the wilderness and there's no water. They couldn't find any water. So when they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? God, who, who split the largest body of water around them, the Red Sea, he did that. And here they are saying, we're going to die of thirst in the wilderness. And they grumbled against Moses, you, you, you did this. You led us out here. Moses is like, what the? <laughs> Did we just cross the Red Sea? Are you kidding me? Then in chapter 16, again it says, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, oh, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. It feels very Shakespearean, right? They're just getting their drama on. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And Moses is like, uh, you remember the whole slavery thing and making bricks without straw, being beaten? How about you You forgot all that? You know, you just, what, Egypt was just one big all-you-can-eat buffet? Is that what you remember? Are you kidding me? But that's what they were doing. They're saying, you brought us out here to kill us with hunger. Thirsty, hungry, you, Moses, you, you did this to us. Then <laughs> chapter 17, it's like every single chapter, right? It doesn't let up. That chapter 17, they said, they quarreled with Moses again, give us water to drink. Again, they're complaining about water. Moses said, why are you quarreling with me? Why do you test God? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did he bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now things getting real serious. Now the people are so hangry, thirsty, all of it, that Moses is afraid for his life. He thinks these people are going to kill him because they're so upset with him. Think about the, the, the ungrateful attitude. And they just miraculously got water. They got food. And now, again, they're complaining about water. Chapter 18. Now, they aren't complaining here. But look at what Moses does for these people. He sat judging the people. In other words, arbitrating between their disputes. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. In fact, Moses' father-in-law came and he said, what you're doing is, what are you doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? So even though the people grumble, complain, want to kill Moses, here Moses is serving the people from day until night. And then to top it all off, while he's away, they make... This unholy cow, while he's up on the mountain. And I don't know about you, but if I were Moses, I think I would be pretty tempted to take God up on. I say, hey God, who am I to get in your way? You want to wipe out? Hey, you you know what's best. I think I would have been really, really tempted to say, go on ahead, God. Let's start over. Brothers and sisters. You know, I I think that there's a really important lesson in here for us as Christians, as believers. And, And it's simply this. And we can see this in the life of Moses here. I think that oftentimes in our relationships with people, there is incredible temptation to just start over. To start over. Why? Because relationships can be very difficult, like Moses experienced. People are difficult. People are hard. And sometimes, you know, you just get that feeling like, you know, I just, I just don't want to deal with it. I just want to start over. Wouldn't that be nice? Just a clean slate, meet some new people, get some new people in my life, and, and things are going to be much better. Because relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. Sometimes people are, are, are very, very needy. I remember there's one brother in my life from years ago um, who I love. I love this guy. He's a great guy. But man, this guy would just like call me at all random hours, sometimes late at night because of all these problems that he had and he wanted to talk. And man, he would talk my ear off. It's like, it's okay, yeah, I, I know people have problems and we need to talk, but it would be all sorts of hours late at night, and then he was one of those guys who, no matter, kind of like came with the same problem again and again and again, and I would give advice that I thought was right, but then it felt like he would never listen to it. <laughs> he would never take it, and it was just really, really draining, right? I don't know if you have an experience with any people like that in your life. Sometimes relationships can be very draining. Sometimes people can be very, very hurtful. You know, maybe you have somebody who just just loves to tell you about his problems, and you're there, and you're listening patiently, lovingly. But then when it comes time for you to say, hey, I wanted to share something too about what's going on in my life, it seems like they kind of listen for a couple of moments before they try to turn this t- topic around back to them and back to their issues. And that can be really hurtful. Sometimes people are just insensitive or they're straight up offensive. Sometimes they're not doing anything wrong, but it's us. Sometimes people may speak the truth in love to you. Maybe something that's difficult to hear, and you may feel like, you know what, I don't want to hear that because it's painful. I don't care, even if it's true. It's difficult. I'd rather not hear that, and I'd rather just hang out with some people who aren't going to go there with me, who are going to just accept me completely as I am, which is really unrealistic in relationships and friendships. Relationships are are not easy. And so there can be a real temptation to start over, to start over with people, to start over with church, to start over with with just all sorts of relationships in your life. Now, here's the thing. We, We can do that. We can do that. You have the freedom to do that. You have the freedom to, to start over relationships, to start over with your small group, to start over with the churches, to start over again and again in your life. But, but the problem with that, the danger of that is, is living a life where you experience a lifetime of superficial, shallow relationships. That's the danger, and it's a very, very real danger. Um Cigna, the U.S. health insurance company, came out in 2018 with a survey called the U.S. Loneliness Index. Now, that's a sad name for a survey, but that's what they called it, the U.S. Loneliness Index. This is back in 2018, back in May, and they, they found out a bunch of things that I think are really, really concerning. In this survey, they found out that most American adults are considered lonely. Most American adults are considered lonely. They found that nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone, 46%, or left out, 47%. One in four Americans rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. Two in five Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they are isolated from others. I, this is pre-COVID, guys. <laughs> Pre-COVID, 43% felt isolated from others. If you do this survey now, the numbers are going to be crazy. One in five people report that they rarely or never feel close to people or feel like they're people that they can talk to. Only around half of Americans have meaningful in-person social interactions, such as having an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with family on a daily basis. Lastly here, they said Generation Z is the loneliest generation and claims to be in worse health than older generations. Now, I don't know why they just said 18 to 22, uh, maybe they narrowed into a segment of Gen Z, but we know gen Z is if you 're born ninety seven to two thousand and twelve um, and this is four years ago, so if you're twenty two to twenty six you are the loneliest generation out there uh, this is This is our country this is the state of our relationships. Maybe some of you can relate to that as well. We live in a country. Of superficial relationships. It makes me think of Proverbs where Solomon wrote, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Solomon is saying, You can have many companions. You may have many quote unquote friends. You may have tons of acquaintances, people that you know. You have 2,000 friends on Facebook, yet you could still come to ruin. Because those relationships are not and meaningful, they're superficial, they stay on the surface, and it leads to ruin, it leads to loneliness. And, and I do believe that when we start over again and again and again, at the, at the first sign of relationships becoming difficult, this is where we can end up. So how did, how did Moses respond? If I were Moses, I'd say, kill them all, God. <laughs> yes, let's start over with not the Israelites, but the, the Moesites. Let's do this, God. What was Moses' response to this? Moses was holier than I. It was holier. He was holier than me. Here's Moses' response. And, and there are two primary things that we can see in Moses' response. We can see, one, what Moses was concerned about And two, what Moses believed in. So as we look at the next few verses, we look at Moses' response. These are the two things we see. What Moses was concerned about. And two, what Moses believed in. First thing here, what Moses was concerned about. Let's look at verses 11 through 12. It says this, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? I'm sorry, I am you babies cry, I'm sorry. Uh, Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. What was was Moses concerned about? What can we see here? What was his concern? Moses' concern was this God's reputation. That's what Moses was concerned about. If I could paraphrase, what Moses was saying was Hey, God, (laughs) this destroying Israel thing, they deserve it 100%. Absolutely. They've been complaining. They wanted to kill me. Are you kidding me? You saved them out of slavery and they think it was a buffet back there? These ingrates, they absolutely deserve this. You give them the Ten Commandments and then they make the golden calf before you know it. They completely deserve it. But, but, but God, but nobody else knows that. Nobody else knows what the people were, what they were doing, how, how ungrateful they were. You know, all all the people around us, the Israelites, the Moabites, the the, the, the Ammonites, all they know is, oh my gosh, the Lord brought these Israelites out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They did these plagues on Pharaoh. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And then he brought the people out into the the wilderness and he annihilated them all. What what kind of God is that? What a cruel trick. Saved them just to kill them? God, that's what people are going to think happened. That's all they see. They don't know everything that happened out here in the desert. And then what will they think about you? What will happen to your reputation, oh God? Moses was concerned about God's reputation. Moses was concerned about what other people would think of God as a result of the people being wiped out in the wilderness. That's what he cared about. Brothers and sisters, when, when we want to start over, when, when, when you're having a difficult time loving somebody, being in a relationship with somebody, being with your brother or sister, being in those relationships, being in the church, when you're having a difficult time with that and you're thinking about starting over, do you consider God's reputation in that? Do you think about it at all? Honestly, I think most of the time we don't think about that. Do we think about God's reputation at all? What's happened to God's reputation when countless churches that could not agree about secondary matters, about something more trivial, just split the church because they said, we can't agree. And they walked away from each other rather than trying to work things out. What does that say about God's reputation to the world? When they see that when Christians can't get along, they just separate again and again and again. There's a story about a church in Tennessee, a Baptist church, and they they practiced foot washing there, like Jesus washed his disciples' feet as a way to show love to one another. But this argument broke out in the church, this disagreement over how to do it. And some people said we should wash people's right foot first. Other people said, no, we should wash the left foot first. They could not disagree. They could not agree. This agreement became so heated that the church split. And some people left and they planted a new church and they called it Left Foot Baptist Church. (laughs) How does God look when things like that happens? What happens to his reputation? You know, What about us? If there's somebody who's hard to love in your life and you just drop him or her, you say, I I can't deal. That's too much. It's it's not easy. You know what the world says? The world looks at that and says, oh, that's exactly what we do. (laughs) We're very similar. You're just like me. We're all the same. But Jesus said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. What Jesus says is, the world will know that you are followers of God. How? Through your love. The way that you love each other, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, when you love each other in that way, when you work through your differences when you choose to, to love each other and not give up on one another, the world will know that you are the people of God. Right now, one of the, one of the biggest divisions that we see in the world right now is going on in Ukraine. And, and I don't know about you, but I've been reading articles talking about how, how, how Ukrainians, they're going to have this anger and this unforgiveness, and it's going to create this rift between Ukrainians and Russians that will last for generations and generations. And the world will say, of course, of course that's what's going to happen right now. But there's a pastor named Leo Regetta in Texas who's fighting for unity. He's a Ukrainian pastor at a church called River of Life. It's an evangelical Christian church that has members that are Russian and Ukrainian. And he has been trying to hold his flock together through compassion, comfort, and prayer for both nations. And this is what he said. One one Sunday before his people, he said, this is not the time to be an ostrich. In other words, to keep your head in the sand. And he said to the people, he was speaking in Russian, and this was being translated in English. He said to them, don't stop coming to church. Don't stay at home because the war has made things awkward or painful. Again, Russians and Ukrainians together. He said, we need each other. We face a test of faith. He's making a choice. He's telling his congregation, let's make a choice to not just separate when things get difficult, but let's make a choice to be united. And in a a world where this type of conflict is going on, that speaks volumes about what God can do, how the love of God can transcend even the bitterest of divisions in this world. The Middle East a place where people have been fighting for for, for religion and land for centuries upon centuries. Did you know that there are groups of Messianic Jews who are Christians, they're believers, they're Messianic Jews, and Palestinian Christians, Arab Christians, who go out into the wilderness together to pray, to pray together, because they believe that their relationship in Christ as brothers and sisters in Jesus transcends their ethnic differences, their cultural differences, their historical differences, that says something so powerful to the world. When you, when we choose to love somebody difficult, when you choose to love a friend, when you choose to love a brother and sister, when you even choose to love a coworker in a way that's different from the world, it says something to the world. You know, when I was in high school, I had a group of friends that dropped me because of something that happened. And I was so sad. I was so lonely. And not one of them came to me and said, hey, Ulysses, things happen, but you know what? I'm still going to be your friend. High school is a social jungle. If you're in high school, to our high schoolers, you are in a social jungle. You have an opportunity, like a like few times you will in your life, to be able to love people and show what a Christian friend is like, how Christians are different. Brothers and sisters, when The rubber hits the road and relationships become challenging. Do we consider God's reputation in how we treat each other in our commitment to one another? Moses was concerned about God's reputation. Secondly, what did Moses believe in? Verses 13 through 14. It says this Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. What was the second thing that we see in Moses' life? The first was that Moses was concerned about God's reputation. The second is, what did Moses believe in? Moses believed in God's promise. Moses was concerned about God's reputation, and Moses believed in God's promise. Look, now, now let's, let's, let's make sure we understand this. Um, you know, Moses, his, his intercession for the people... Was His prayer for the people, it wasn't based on Israel's track record because it was bad. They deserved to be wiped out. Um, it was based on God's promise. God, you've said that you're going to create a great nation out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, let me get technical for a moment. Let me put on my technical hat here for a moment. And, you know, you could say, well, Moses, God could... Still fulfill his promise by making a great nation out of you. Because you're descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if he destroyed all these complainers and he made a new nation out of you, God wouldn't be breaking his promise. He'd he'd still be making a great nation. Maybe he'll call them Moazites or something like that, but he's gonna fulfill, he could still fulfill his promise. Technically speaking, isn't that true? That's true, right? You know, there there is a technicality here. But here's the thing, here's the thing we need to ask ourselves. How long before the Moazites start to complain and sin against God or create some type of idol and worship the wrong thing? Oh, well, then we'll wipe out the Moazites. We'll leave one, the most faithful one, and then we'll, maybe his name is Jonathan. Then we'll have the Jonathites. How long before they sin? Oh, we'll wipe out the Jonathites. Then we'll have the Davidites and then the Mephiboshites and the, 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 I don't know, and you pick a Hebrew name, over and over. It could, they're not going to stop sinning. It's going to happen over and over and over again. Brothers and sisters, you could start over in your relationships and you can do it again and again and again. But how long are you going to go through life? just starting over again and again and again. When will that stop? When will you draw a line in the sand and say, I am going to experience biblical community with these people. I am not going to give up. We think we have time. We think we have all the time in the world, especially if you're young. You think you have time. Make new relationships, new friends, new church, move to a new city. I could do everything new. Sure, you can do that. But in that Cigna survey, lots of those lonely people were old people, not just young people, they're old people who just did this again and again and again. We can be fooled by the illusion of time and one day end up at near the end of our life without knowing people or truly being known and that's sad that's sad a lifetime of superficial relationships a lifetime of acquaintances but not true friends not true family in Christ now please understand don't get me wrong there are there are good and appropriate times To to leave a relationship. Sometimes a relationship with somebody can be can be toxic, can be abusive. You can try to reconcile, try to make it a healthier relationship, but it's just unhealthy and you need to draw a boundary. That can that that happens at times. Sometimes you need to leave a church. If the gospel is not being preached, if God is calling you to, to the ends of the earth, we'd all still be in Jerusalem if nobody ever left the church. We couldn't do the Great Commission. If we never went out, don't get me wrong, there are times to do that. But I think in this day and age, we give up way too easily. Way too easily. We don't know how to fight to break through to a place of deeper, meaningful relationship. Brothers and sisters, uh, Moses took a stand and he said, God, God. This people. I want to be with this people. But they're trying to stone you. I know. I know. But I want to be with this people. I believe in your promise that you can work through this people. Brothers and sisters, when will you take a stand in your life and say, God, now it's not perfect. It's not perfect. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. This church is not perfect. My relationship is not perfect, but God, I want to take a stand and I want to experience biblical community here, now. I don't want to start over again and again. When will that stop? Maybe you've done that throughout your life. Maybe you find yourself lonely. Maybe there's nobody you can say who really knows you. Would you, like Moses, say, No, God, this people, now, for this community's sake, And for my own sake, I want to take a stand on your promise. I want to take a stand on the fact that Jesus, you said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. That's your promise, Jesus. And I'm going to stand on that promise that the church is ugly sometimes. But you are going to build it. It's not Israel's track record, it's not the church's track record, it's your promise. That's what I believe in. That's why I stand upon it. That's why I'm committed to the relationship. That's why I continue to try and I don't give up because of your promise. Because I believe, going back to Proverbs 18, that there is indeed a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That that is the relation, that is your desire for me, God. That is your desire for the church. That's what you want to see in biblical community. That is something we can experience here. A friend who is closer than a brother. There is in the kingdom of God, through the promise of God, through the grace of God. How long will we go on, starting again and again when things get difficult? I want to invite you to take a, take a stand with me, a very imperfect pastor, and with very imperfect brothers and sisters around you, to say, God, we're going to take you at your word. We're going to seek you. We're going to pray. We're going to fight for community. We're going to fight for love, to see heaven on earth and the biblical family that you have designed for us to be in, that the world may see that you are real and that we are the people of God. Let me just close by saying this. I'll invite the worship team up at this time. Moses said, near the end of his life, in Deuteronomy 18, he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. What Moses You see, we may look at God and say, Oh, God, God's a mean God. Oh, why would He wipe out the people? No, the people deserved it, okay? Since Adam, people sinned. We all deserved eternal punishment and separation from God. God went out of His way to give the people of Israel a second chance to say, Hey, do you want to be my people? And the people said, Yes. And then they took that and they flushed it down a toilet. They deserved annihilation and being destroyed by God. We say, Oh, God, God seems kind of mean. But when Moses said that God's gonna raise up for you a prophet like me, he was talking about Jesus because Moses, his intercession, what he did pointed forward to what Jesus would do in the most incredible way. Jesus came, and as Romans says, he died for the ungodly. Jesus was the Moses who came and said, Father! Do not destroy these sinners. Destroy me. Destroy me upon the cross. I give my life upon the cross so that they can be forgiven. And so that they can have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. And now, brothers and sisters, with the Holy Spirit, who is living within us that Moses didn't even have, we have everything we need for life and godliness. As Peter said, we have the power to experience biblical community and unity now, not later, not in the future, now, if we will stand upon the promises of God. As we pray, as we enter into worship, brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to make a commitment. Maybe today, maybe right now, maybe today you're going to choose to forgive somebody rather than walking away. Even if it was painful for you, even if you were wronged, maybe you're going to choose to forgive, to be a peacemaker for the sake of unity. Maybe some of you are going to be convicted. You're going to choose to look inside yourself. Maybe you've always run When people started to see the real you, when people started to point out things about you that that maybe are true, but it's hard to hear and you just ran in your life from that again and again and you've kept people at arm's length. You don't want them to know the real you. But man, that's lonely. I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. Maybe for you, your prayer is going to be, God, help me to look inside. Help me to be willing to, to take those steps of acknowledgement and to change Maybe for some of you this morning, it's going to be a commitment. You're going to pray. You're going to choose to pursue God's promise for community radically. Radically. You're not just going to chill. You're not going to say, I'm just going to come to this church. And you know, if relationships go deep, great. If not, oh well, I'll find another place. You're going to choose to pursue it radically. You, maybe, maybe this week you're going to make a call to somebody to talk. Maybe you're going to take somebody out for coffee to connect. Maybe you're going to take a step of opening up your heart, letting somebody see who you really are, as a first step in being vulnerable. You're going to make the first move. Maybe God is going to challenge you and convict you to pray like Moses. Man, I think we need to pray. I think we need to pray for this, this Tuesday night. Our prayer meeting to pray. For this type of community here, one that doesn't give up on each other. And that says, we're drawing a line in the sand. God, this place, we want to experience you. Brothers and sisters, don't start over. Start forgiving. Don't start over. Start loving. Don't start over. Start looking inside. Start praying Start opening up because that's what our Lord Jesus did for us. He never gave up on and he never will. Let's stand together as we respond, as we enter into worship.